Welcome, listeners, to Tom Reads Your Story. Join voice actor Tom Zania as he reads from past audiobooks and other spoken word projects. You writers may also be given the chance to have your newly written material, fiction or nonfiction, read to an audience. This show will get the words out. And now, here's the host of Tom Reads Your Story, voice actor and podcaster, Tom Zania. And thank you very much, Mr. Announcer, for that wonderful introduction. And I am Tom Zania, voice actor here in New York. I'm so happy that you came back to listen to another of the podcast episodes. Today we have a very good show. It's about uh, uh, close to a half an hour. And we have some good things. We have a commercial first, uh, one I did for the law firm that I have a day job at. Uh, And it is, of course, about Monsanto's product Roundup that's giving everyone non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So don't use it. And uh, we also have a very good a little thing um and i want to tell you what that is it's it's an a piece that was written by dr carl sagan and you've probably heard of carl sagan one of the great astronomers of past years who passed away uh i think in the late 90s mid to late 90s um so Uh, It is called Pale Blue Dot. It's something that I have posted uh, every Earth Day on Facebook. And so, sorry, if you're one of my Facebook friends, you're going to hear it again. So, uh, pretend it's Earth Day and you'll be able to hear Pale Blue Dot. And we also have this thing I did. You know, if you are... uh, a YouTube junkie like I am, you would have heard or might even be into this phenomena known as ASMR. It's it's when you feel tingles uh, because of certain sound that you hear when people talk. It's, it's hard to explain. But um, there's that. That's my attempt at doing an ASMR recording. And for a long piece, uh, I want you to hear this article that I read in Facebook uh, by Peter Piet. Peter Piet is someone who I had never heard of until now. He is a scientist uh, who discovered the the Ebola virus in the 70s. And he's, of course, working on the COVID-19 Uh, virus today and has been for several months. He has been diagnosed with COVID-19 and uh, he does an interview uh, in this article. I think you'll like this, especially if you are a person like me who values straight talk on this. Now, luckily we do have Dr. Fauci and I appreciate him, but the rest are dumb politicians. And one of them is a really dumb politician. So listen to this, and I, I think you'll you'll learn a lot from it. First of all, uh, here's a commercial I did uh, 
by uh, uh, Weitz and Luxembourg uh, about Roundup. Attention farmers, landscapers, and homeowners. If you've developed cancer after using the weed killer Roundup, the New York law firm of Weitz and Luxembourg wants to discuss possible compensation. Call us at 1-800-921-8888. If you have non-Hodgkin's lymphoma after using Roundup or other glyphosate herbicides, call 1-800-921-8888 or log on to weedkillercancer.com. Prior results do not guarantee a future outcome. And before that stinger, uh, that was, of course, a roundup ad that I did for the law firm I work at. And next, we are going to hear a recording called Pale Blue Dot from astronomer Carl Sagan. Pale Blue Dot, Carl Sagan, 1994. Look again at that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever was, lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there on a mote of dust suspended in a sunbeam. The Earth is a very small stage in a vast cosmic arena. Think of the rivers of blood spilled by all those generals and emperors so that in glory and triumph they could become the momentary masters of a fraction of a dot. Think of the endless cruelties visited by the inhabitants of one corner of this pixel on the scarcely distinguishable inhabitants of some other corner. How frequent their misunderstandings. How eager they are to kill one another. How fervent their hatreds. Our posturings, our imagined self-importance, the delusion that we have some privileged position in the universe, are challenged by this point of pale light. Our planet is a lonely speck in the great enveloping cosmic dark. In our obscurity, in all this vastness, there is no hint that help will come from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. The Earth is the only world known so far to harbor life. There is nowhere else, at least in the near future, to which our species could migrate. Visit, yes. Subtle? Not yet. Like it or not, for the moment the Earth is where we make our stand. It has been said that astronomy is a humbling and character-building experience. There is perhaps 
No better demonstration of the folly of human conceits than this distant image of our tiny world. To me, it underscores our responsibility to deal more kindly with one another and to preserve and cherish the pale blue dot, the only home we've ever known. Okay, now I want to play for you, especially for you folks who don't know what ASMR is. Uh, basically, what it is, and I'm, I'm reading this from Google because it's a little hard to explain otherwise. ASMR stands for Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. It is a calming, pleasurable feeling often accompanied by a tingling sensation. This tingle is said to originate in a person's head and spread to the spine and sometimes the limbs in response to stimulation. The stimuli that triggers ASMR may vary from person to person. Okay, so here is what I read in regards to ASMR. Listen. Take me there. J.D. Schooley. Are there cool mountain streams that only you know? Take me there. Do the colors in your mind release the sensations of hot and cold together? Take me there. Is the road you seek full of pleasurable curves and bumps? Take me there. Will you lick the blades searching out all the juices? Take me there. Is there a point where your heat is almost scalding? Take me there. When reaching the summit, is it about conquest? Or about how you take me there, too? And like it or not, uh, before that stinger, you heard the, or my attempt at uh, ASMR, which, I, I don't know, I guess for a first timer, it was okay. Um, but now I, I want to talk to you a little bit about what I'm playing next. And that is uh, an article uh, about Peter Piet. Now, my friend Jay Dolan Burns posted this article from science magazine he posted it in facebook a week or so ago and i just thought it was so great because all we've heard 24 7 is covid 19 it's been in our face so much and a lot of it is bs is opinion and aside from dr fauci a lot of it isn't very helpful and this is if you want straight talk want to hear straight talk on COVID-19, this is the article to read or to listen to as I'm going to read it for you now. Uh, Dr. Peter Piat uh, discovered the Ebola virus back in the 70s. He is a world-renowned 
scientist who has been dis, uh, diagnosed uh, with COVID-19. And uh, you've got to listen to this. Finally, a virus got me. Scientist who fought Ebola and HIV reflects on facing death from COVID-19. By Dirk Drawlins, Science Magazine. Virologist Peter Piet, director of the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, fell ill with COVID-19 in mid-March. He spent a week in a hospital and has been recovering at his home in London since. Climbing a flight of stairs still leaves him breathless. Piet, who grew up in Belgium, was one of the discoverers of the Ebola virus in 1976 and spent his career fighting infectious diseases. He headed the Joint United Nations Program on HIV-AIDS between 1995 and 2008 and is currently a coronavirus advisor to European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen. But his personal confrontation with the new coronavirus was a life-changing experience, Piet says. This interview took place on May 2nd. Piet's answers have been edited and translated from Dutch. On 19 March, I suddenly had a high fever and a stabbing headache. My skull and hair felt very painful, which was bizarre. I didn't have a cough at the time, but still, my first reflex was, I have it. I kept working, I'm a workaholic, but from home. We put a lot of effort into teleworking at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine last year so that we didn't have to travel as much. That investment, made in the context of the fight against global warming, is now very useful, of course. I tested positive for COVID-19, as I suspected. I put myself in isolation in the guest room at home, but the fever didn't go away. I had never been seriously ill and have not taken a day of sick leave the past ten years. I live a pretty healthy life and walk regularly. The only risk factor for corona is my age. I'm 71. I'm an optimist, so I thought it would pass. But on 1st April, a doctor friend advised me to get a thorough examination because the fever and especially the exhaustion were getting worse and worse. It turned out I had severe oxygen deficiency, although I still wasn't short of breath. Lung images showed I had severe pneumonia, typical of COVID-19, as well as bacterial pneumonia. I constantly felt exhausted, while normally I'm always buzzing with energy. It wasn't just fatigue, but complete exhaustion. I'll never forget that feeling. I had to be hospitalized, although... I tested negative for the virus in the meantime. This is also typical of COVID-19. The virus disappears, but its consequences linger for weeks. I was concerned I would be put on a ventilator immediately because I had seen publications showing it increases your chance of dying. I was pretty scared, but fortunately, they just gave me an oxygen mask first and that turned out to work. So I ended up in an isolation room in the antechamber of the intensive care department. 
you're tired, so you resign to your fate. You completely surrender to the nursing staff. You live in a routine from syringe to infusion, and you hope you make it. I am usually quite proactive in the way I operate, but here I was, 100% patient. I shared a room with a homeless person, a Colombian cleaner, and a man from Bangladesh, all three diabetics, incidentally, which is consistent with the known picture of the disease. The days and nights were lonely because no one had the energy to talk. I could only whisper for weeks. Even now, my voice loses power in the evening. But I always had that question going around in my head. How will I be when I get out of this? After fighting viruses all over the world for more than 40 years, I have become an expert in infections. I'm glad I had corona and not Ebola, although I read a scientific study yesterday that concluded you have a 30% chance of dying if you end up in a British hospital with COVID-19. That's about the same overall mortality rate as for Ebola in 2014 in West Africa. That makes you lose your scientific level-headedness at times, and you surrender to emotional reflections. They got me. I sometimes thought. I have devoted my life to fighting viruses, and finally, they get their revenge. For a week, I balanced between heaven and earth, on the edge of what could have been the end. I was released from the hospital after a long week. I traveled home by public transport. I wanted to see the city, with its empty streets, its closed pubs, and its surprisingly fresh air. There was nobody on the street. A strange experience. I couldn't walk properly because my muscles were weakened from lying down and from the lack of movement, which is not a good thing when you're treating a lung condition. At home, I cried for a long time. I also slept badly for a while. The risk that something could still go seriously wrong keeps going through your head. You're locked up again but you've got to put things like that into perspective. I now admire Nelson Mandela even more than I used to. He was locked in prison for 27 years, but came out as a great reconciler. I have always had a great respect for viruses, and that has not diminished. I have devoted much of my life to the fight against the AIDS virus. It's such a clever thing. It evades everything we do to block it. Now that I have felt the compelling presence of a virus in my body myself, I look at viruses differently. I realize this one will change my life, despite the confrontational experiences I've had with viruses before. I feel more vulnerable. One week after I was discharged, I became increasingly short of breath. I had to go to the hospital again, but fortunately, I could be treated on an outpatient basis. I turned out to have an organizing pneumonia-induced lung disease caused by a so-called cytokine storm. It's a result of your immune defense going into overdrive. Many people do not die from the tissue damage caused by the virus, but from the exaggerated response of their immune system, which doesn't know 
what to do with the virus. I'm still under treatment for that, with high doses of corticosteroids that slow down the immune system. If I had had that storm along with the symptoms of the viral outbreak in my body, I wouldn't have survived. I had atrial fibrillation with my heart rate going up to 170 beats per minute. That also needs to be controlled with therapy, particularly to prevent blood clotting events, including stroke. This is an underestimated ability of the virus. It can probably affect all the organs in your body. Many people think COVID-19 kills 1% of patients, and the rest get away with some flu-like symptoms. But the story gets more complicated. Many people will be left with chronic kidney and heart problems. Even their neural system is disrupted. There will be hundreds of thousands of people worldwide, possibly more, who will need treatments such as renal dialysis for the rest of their lives. The more we learn about the coronavirus, the more questions arise. We are learning while we are sailing. That's why I get so annoyed by the many commentators on the sidelines who, without much insight, criticize the scientists and policymakers trying hard to get the epidemic under control. That's very unfair. Today, after seven weeks, I feel more or less in shape for the first time. I ate white asparagus, which I order from a Turkish green grocer around the corner from my home. I'm from Kierbergen, Belgium, an asparagus-growing community. My lung images finally look better again. I opened up a good bottle of wine to celebrate, the first in a long time. I want to get back to work, although my activity will be limited for a while. The first thing I picked up again is my work as a COVID-19 R&D special advisor to von der Leyen. The Commission is strongly committed to supporting the development of a vaccine. Let's be clear. Without a coronavirus vaccine, we will never be able to live normally again. The only real exit strategy from this crisis is a vaccine that can be rolled out worldwide. That means producing billions of doses of it, which in itself is a huge challenge in terms of manufacturing logistics. And despite the efforts, it is still not even certain that developing a COVID-19 vaccine is possible. Today, there's also the paradox that some people who owe their lives to vaccines no longer want their children to be vaccinated. That could become a problem if we want to roll out a vaccine against the coronavirus, because if too many people refuse to join, we will never get the pandemic under control. I hope this crisis will ease political tensions in a number of areas. It may be an illusion, but we have seen in the past that polio vaccination campaigns have led to truces. Likewise, I hope that the World Health Organization, which is doing a great job in the fight against COVID-19, can be reformed to make it less bureaucratic and less dependent on advisory committees in which individual countries primarily defend their own interests. The WHO too often becomes a political playground. Anyway, I remain a born optimist. And now that I have faced death, my tolerance levels for nonsense and bullshit 
have gone down even more than before. So, I continue calmly and enthusiastically, although more selectively than before my illness. And, of course, that article was from Science Magazine, and I hope you liked it. Well, that does it for today. I'm really glad you decided to come along. I hope uh, you'll come again. Uh, There's always room for more guests, more fans, more listeners. If you are a voiceover person and need information, if you are a writer and want something read, I'll produce it uh, in my good studio, (laughs) the one with soundproofing around it. Um, I would love to hear from you. Send it to Tom Reads Your Story, Tom Reads Your Story, all one word, at yahoo.com. Thanks for visiting today, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Take care. For more information on Tom's availability for your e-learning, commercial, audiobook, or video project, visit his website at www.tomzvoices.weebly.com. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Tom Reads Your Story.